Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Please join me in our unison prayer for illumination. O Lord, our God, your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We turn to God's word this morning. Our first scripture is from Psalm 9, verses 9 through 10 and 18 through 20. Let us listen to God's word. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord, do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know that they are only human. The second scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled before me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Let your gentleness, gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let us pause and pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the treasure of your word for your promise that even through these human words, your holy word can be heard. Be present with us now so that we hear what we need to hear and then do what we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, it feels like as someone has said, he's writing to his pride and joy, his favorite child. They're none of the angry or cautionary instructions that he has for the church in Galatia or in both of his letters to the church in Corinth. Instead, he writes with great affection for the Philippians and expresses gratitude for their partnership and ministry that he shares with them. But that does not mean that all is right with this church or that life is easy for the people in Philippi. For example, we know from the passage in chapter 4 that there's a conflict in the Philippian congregation that is affecting the whole congregation, as such conflicts often do. 
As someone has said, we always have to remember when reading epistles that we're reading someone else's mail. We don't really know what the argument is about, but Paul and the church in Philippi did. What we know is that the conflict is between two of the leaders, Euodia and Syntyche. Both are women, which is a reminder of something that the church managed to overlook for nearly 2,000 years. In the early congregations, women like Iodia and Syntyche, here and Lydia, Priscilla, and Phoebe mentioned elsewhere, were full-fledged leaders working side by side as recognized by Paul. What we also know is that Paul is not willing to sweep this conflict under the rug and ignore it. Neither does he assume that he can simply resolve it by saying in an authoritarian matter, stop it. Instead, he calls on members of the church in Philippi to help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel. <clears throat> in addition to problems inside the church, there are problems outside the church. Oppo opponents who intimidate or spook them in the den is what Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse 28. He's drawing on military language, which refers to a horse being spooked in the midst of battle. Then there is the persecution of members of the church in Philippi and other parts of the Roman Empire. Paul himself is writing this letter from a prison cell. He has been imprisoned because of false accusations of sedition against the empire and threats to the Roman rule. All in all, it sounds like life may be hard in Philippi for the Christians there. It sounds like believers there could easily be disillusioned or disquieted or disheartened about the state of things. How about you? I wonder if you yourself have had reason to feel disillusioned or disheartened or discouraged in recent days or weeks about the state of things in our world. Perhaps you find yourself feeling like you're carrying the weight of the world, witnessing from afar the carnage and suffering and heartbreak, first in Israel and now in Gaza. Perhaps you're dreading Thanksgiving because of who will be there at the table or who will not be. Perhaps there are struggles at work or at school that are keeping you awake at night, conflicts with others that leaves you unsettled or burdens being carried by loved ones like parents or children or someone else that leaves you anxious about their welfare. If any of the questions or any of those situations are true for you, then you know how the Christians in Philippi feel. And these words to the church in Philippi could not therefore be more timely or necessary for us to hear this morning. That is especially true when we remember that these words are not some glib, think positive, be positive admonition on a Pinterest sign, or words coming from a songwriter with light lyrics to walk on the sunny side of the street, or don't worry, be happy. No, these words are written by a brother in Christ from a prison cell. Listen again, then Paul's words of encouragement and instruction for tough times. Be gentle. Be gentle with one another. Be gentle with yourself. Do not worry, but remember that the Lord is near. Rejoice, even in difficult circumstances. 
As one commentator notes, superficial optimism has nothing to do with what Paul calls joy. Joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless. Give thanks, even in these times. All of these instructions and reminders from Paul would make sermons in themselves. There's a reason why this is one of the most popular and helpful passages in all of Paul's letters. But today I would like to focus on the last two verses, beginning with, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think on these things. That Greek word for think means to consider, give thought to, ponder. For a number of years, Carrie led a women's Bible study in ministry in our church in Pottstown. And a regular member of that Bible study was quite open about her serious mental health struggles. One time she told Carrie and the rest of the Bible study that she had been fretful during the past week as worries piled up. Her mind was like a hamster on a wheel, she said, and she was losing sleep. She sighed and told the women in the group a phrase that Carrie and I have often said to each other, I need a new place to park my brain. A place to park our brains. That's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 4, because what we think matters. As David Lowe's, the former president of the Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia once reflected, I am regularly amazed at how much what we think about shapes how we feel. For example, we all have a mixture of memories, some of good things, some of difficult, some of what we're proud of, and some which makes us ashamed. The memories that we choose to dwell on shape not only our view of the past, but dominate our present and largely define our future. What we think about, where we let our minds go, sets in many ways the boundaries of what we can imagine, he writes. Think about these things, what is honorable and true. Park your brain here on what is pure, pleasing, and commendable. That is easier said than done, of course, because everything is easier said than done. Parking our brain on what is pure or admirable or commendable is also hard because the surrounding culture wants to push us in a different direction. Can you imagine, for instance, the evening news being dominated by a series of stories about what is pleasing and commendable? Or think about the commercials that bombard us no matter what device we're looking at. The ads want us to focus on what we don't have and create a sense that our lives will be inadequate unless we purchase what they are selling. Notice where our social media takes us. Does it take us towards what is true and honorable? or towards that which makes us envious of others, or angry with others, or feeling anxious and depressed? I think we probably can all agree on that answer. Paul is not telling us to shut our minds and hearts to bad news, to ignore injustice to others, or even to ourselves, or to turn away from people who are suffering lest we feel bad. No, our model is Jesus Christ, who always looked at others with compassion and was always seeking 
to address the suffering and needs of others. Psalms like Psalm 9, which Linda read earlier, are filled with laments and requests for God to intervene so that the wicked will no longer prosper and so that the poor and weak will no longer be abused. We're not to turn away from other struggles and suffering, but we are never to lose sight of Christ, knowing that in him and with him, love conquers hate and hope outlasts despair. So, Paul wants us to know and do, park your brain on what is pure. The unselfconscious laughter of children where their whole bodies shake. The race in Special Olympics where the competitors stop and help a fallen competitor stand up and join them. An anonymous gift for someone in need that comes without strings attached. Park your brain on what is true and honorable. I know that in these polarizing times, there are a lot of people running for election with impure motives who are only there to help those who think like them rather than the common good. But in these recent local elections, where people are not going to get a salary coming out if they win, think instead about those who are true public service servants willing to go through an election just so they can help others and make the world a little better place. Or think about those doctors and nurses doing their best to treat patients in the midst of the horrors of war. Park your brain on what is commendable. Three sisters from this congregation were recently featured in a University of Pennsylvania publication. Joanna Mirabel and Anna Maria Haddad have made history because they are enrolled in the dental school all at the same time, three sisters. Joanna was quoted in the publication, we came to America when we were teenagers because of our living situation in Lebanon, she says. As a child, I witnessed the detrimental effects of poor oral dental care and the way it spread far beyond teeth and into people's lives, happiness, and even the ability to enjoy food. The sisters credit their passion for dentistry to the sacrifices of their parents, Bassam and Georgina that they made for them in order if they could immigrate to the United States over 10 years ago. That's all commendable. But what really struck me was not sort of their desire to have the American dream and to do better than their parents. No, all three said they hoped to provide dental care to those who were underserved and underrepresented. Or consider Van Uk Kim who recently migrated from Burma or Myanmar by way of Malaysia with his family to join family here in Allentown. The first thing he wanted to do was to be baptized here since he was a 16-year-old as an adult. And the first thing his family wanted to do, which they did that same Sunday, was to join this church. Now Van and his brother and sister are navigating their way through the Parkland schools in a language that they're just learning. I don't know about you, but I found it hard enough to navigate my way through school, and I was learnt speaking the language that I had always spoken. Park your brain on these th commendable things, not on thoughts that lead to envy or hate. Hold fast to what is good and not to what is toxic for healthy relationships or good mental health. We're not called to ignore evil in the world. No, we're called to resist it but to resist it 
what we must be fortified by the good, by the things of God. Do you remember the advice that Mr. Rogers gave parents when parents asked them, what do we do? What do we say to our children in light of a disaster like 9-11 or a natural disaster like a hurricane? His advice, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. That's not just good advice for parents with their children. It's good advice for us and all of us. Look for the helpers and be the helpers. Paul not only urges the Philippians and us to think about these things, he also calls on them to do them. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received, he writes, and the God of peace will be with you. Carl Menninger was a pioneer in psychiatry and treating mental illness, and along with his father and brother, founded the world-famous Menninger Clinic in the early 20th century, almost 100 years ago. He was also a Presbyterian. While he never minimized what counseling and medicine could offer to those battling mental illness, he also spoke about the effect that actions can, can have and how they can help. Love cures people, he once wrote, both the ones who give it and those who receive it. One time he was asked by an interviewer what action would he recommend if a person were to feel a nervous breakdown, as it was called then, coming on. He said, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, and find someone in need and do something for him. This past week, I went on a journey similar to the one that Gary Stone described in his Minute for Ministry in October. In my case, on Tuesday afternoon, I spent time over and upstairs in the Faith Formation Wing with a dozen or so servants working hard at the job to begin packing up boxes of food and school supplies and treats for local children and food insecure families so that they could be distributed at Christmas. On Wednesday evening, I stuck my head into the kitchen and saw three faithful servants scurrying around to be sure that the families that we were hosting as part of Family Promise would have enough food and good food at that. On Wednesday after that, I went to a session meeting, a meeting which ended by the passing of the peace. On Thursday, I stopped by the conference room to say hello to three more servants working on the tedious job of putting newsletters together in the mail so they could be mailed out to those who do not use computers. Do you know what I heard in all four places? Laughter, lots of it, even at the session meeting. Do you know what I saw in addition to lots of people hard at work? Lots of smiles. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, park your brain on these things and then do them. We will be better for thinking on these things and doing them. And so will the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.